Trick Mafia. We're back again. Jess is going to bounce for another hour. And we have another a guest, a special guest. Today, we have senior staff engineer at VMware and also one of my kind of personal heroes. I love watching him, uh, watching his career progress and, and him like learn all these things and teach us more things. It's uh, Brian Lyles. So if you want to talk about yourself for a minute, you can, we're basically going to talk about yourself for the next however long it takes. So, All right. So, yeah. Mafia. Yeah, I'm Brian Lyles. Uh, um, I've been doing this computing thing for a long time uh, since um, I have a story like other people's stories where when I was in middle school, my dad bought me a computer and he said that this is the future and you're going to learn how to use it. But the only way you're going to learn how to use it is I'm going to give you these books and you're going to learn these books. And then when you learn these books, then you can get the computer. So um, forwarding back, uh, going forward a little bit, my dad was actually in the military. He worked at Aberdeen Proving Grounds and the computers that he could get were pretty crazy. And the training manuals he was getting was like some pretty top military stuff. So I thought it was normal to learn C as your first programming language. I just thought programming was hard from the beginning. So I think it gave me a, a different outlook on programming in general. And where did you grow up? I grew up, so I was a military brat, born in, born somewhere in the United States on a military base, um, occupied Germany for a few years, and then um, came back here to Maryland, and I've been in Maryland and other places since the 80s. Yeah, I am not a millennial, which is interesting in these days. I don't like avocados. <laughs> yeah, I'm, so. I'm not a millennial, but I do like avocados. Yeah, um, I like guacamole though, which is interesting because I had it for lunch. But avocados are gross. Uh, so that's that's the that's like the origin story. That's like the Spider-Man getting bit by the spider. That was what started. But the crazy thing is that uh, my dad was not an officer in the military. He was just like a rank and file type person, superhero to this day. Um, no one's bigger hero than my dad. But uh, we grew up in kind of like this whole blue collar thing and. I saw computers as an escape from the rest of the world. Um, not that I lived in some crazy bad neighborhood, but I knew some crazy bad things were going on. And I just used computers to escape from people. Uh, and then also uh, do something else my dad taught me was um, you never can learn enough. So always learning. So computers at that time, and it was at that time, it was not even the internet. It was going to wherever you can find a Byte magazine or a Linux journal or something else, or even for Linux journal, and copying it all out and then seeing if you can make it work different. Because back in those days, you know, we had 10 megabyte hard drives and 20 so megabytes. It's not like you grew up on the wire, but it, it was like- No, within, no, but within, I grew up down the street from the it was wire. within driving distance, right? Like, yeah, it was definitely, yeah, I grew up um, literally, you know, minutes from some of those areas. So now I'm, I'm not, I'm not like Biggie says, um, I've never dealt crack rocks and I definitely don't have a wicked jump shot. So um, computers is what it was. And crazy thing is that um, I see it now is that I'm, that I'm like well over 40. Uh, I've always been kind of a weirdo. I can talk to computers and the thing that I like about computers is what you give them is what they give you back. People are hard. People, you know, have this X factor about them. So I've always liked computers and I've always liked building things that people said you should not be able to build. 
So that started really early. So I went on and, and couldn't afford Windows, so we downloaded Linux just because that was cheaper. And it took a long time. So I mean, I've been using, I've been using Linux since the mid-90s, seriously. And I always kid about this on the internet, and we're saying that you know the year of the Linux desktop has never come. But that's funny because um, in the 90s, in the mid 90s, I was running Linux on the desktop and had it working, got it working on laptops, would write my own drivers because things didn't work. I just thought that's how computing worked. This that is what just, people do. This is what you did. And you know what, come to find out, people didn't really do that. I, I, I also ran Linux on the desktop for a while and then I stopped doing that because I just didn't have the time or the patience for it. I ran Linux on a desktop up until 2007. Wow. And then, you know what, I got to this point where it was like, oh, this Mac thing, yeah, it's got a command line, it's close enough, it doesn't really, it doesn't really make me upset. So I, I mean, I'm talking to you on a Mac now, but I got an even bigger Windows box slash Linux box next to me. It's like so this. you, you kind of came on my radar right around that time. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I remember Brian Lyles, like, will always be burning in my mind is testing all the fucking time. Oh, so let me tell you about that. <clears throat> so... Um, this is an interesting story. Uh, I'm, I was going to, actually, I was doing a whole bunch of programming and a whole bunch of systems and a whole bunch of networking stuff. Believe it or not, I've only been a developer since 2007. But I've been writing software for years. I just thought you were supposed to. I did, I did more networking security and operating system stuff all the way up until then. But I was in a place where I was working at a company where we, where we actually had to write software. So I learned Java, learned Python, and this Ruby thing came along and I was like, oh, Ruby on Rails, I can make these easier web apps, it's so much easier. So what I started doing is um, trying to do all things the right way and testing came a real big thing. And the way that this came up is that I was watching people go to these conferences and give talks and I'm thinking, I can give a better talk than that person. And they're a big, you know, they're like a big thing back in 2008, 2007. And my wife's like, no, you shouldn't just talk about it. You should go do it. So I did it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. But then I found that I was really passionate about certain things, and testing was one of those. And where this came from was it was a lightning talk at, at some conference down in, like, Alabama or Tennessee. It was somewhere down in the south. And I wasn't supposed to actually speak. So what I did is I took a five-minute talk, and I said, well, how can I make this exciting? Well, I said, all right, well, this is what I'll do. I'll make my point, and then I'll say something vulgar. I'll make another point and say something <laughs> So basically, it came down to slide, test all the fucking time. Slide, test all the fucking time. Slide, test all the fucking time. And I didn't realize it at first, but actually, um, when I had finished that talk and I gave it again, um, this dude, Obi Fernandez, who I actually do like, and we share the same birthday, so, you know, we're birthday buddies, he went and, he went and created a domain based on my saying. And then I knew at that point, oh, wait a second, I'm on to something. So what I did is I started focusing on testing as a thing. Not just like we write tests to make sure our software works, but we write tests because it actually makes us produce better software. And what does that mean? Well, some of us do TDD and BDD and whatever else, but that's not about that. It's about when I'm sitting down, what can I actually type into the computer to give me the confidence and let me know that whatever this other thing that I'm making works correctly. And then another thing that happened at that time was um, Jim Wyrick, you know, RIP Jim Wyrick, uh, super, one of the smartest people I've ever met. 
And he started taking some of my ideas because he was doing these talk series about, um, I can never say it, Canaisons, Canaisons. Canaisons. Canaisons, I can't say that word, I'm from the South. And, and he would start quoting me. He's like when Brian Lyle said, and then I knew that not only was I on to um, a good subject, but I was also saying it in a way that was convincing others that they could do it. And I realized that's my super, that's my, that's my ability. That's my secret power. Um, am I a better programmer than a lot of people? Yes. Am I the best programmer? No. But I can always put people in a place where they have the confidence or the ability to write better code. And that's really what I am. I'm just a multiplier. Yeah. So, oh, sorry. Uh, the first talk I saw of yours was at a Go conference on the same day, test-driven development. So I'm wondering like how you went from like Ruby to Go. Okay, so this is an interesting story. So this is actually, um, this, is re- this is now 2012, 2013. Um, so the first GopherCon came around, and I was always under the, the opinion that um, Go looks neat, but I can see that how it would be hard to develop in, and anything that comes out of Google is always quirky in any way, so I'm never going to learn this thing. And they had the go- first GopherCon, and I didn't want to go. But I sat down and I happened to be working on this crazy thing. So here's a little sidebar. I've always been the person that says that if someone, something tell, someone tells you something is impossible, well, now it's your job to go figure out how to do it. Just stop what you're doing. So what I was doing, and I should not have been doing this, is I work with the pharmaceutical. And we were just writing web apps and teaching them Ruby. And that was fine. But of course, I'm asking, well, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm trying to solve... I'm trying to basically build tools to help me figure out if our mathematical tooling is correct. So what they had was basically a huge set of differential equations that they were using to determine if drug applications in a large population were um, effective. I'm like, that sounds cool. So I'm thinking about it. And I had just written, I just written or just read a book about uh, simulations and Monte Carlo simulators. I'm like, oh, this is pretty simple. I can, I can explain this to them. So we went through all these iterations of this of this software. We wrote versions in Ruby. We wrote versions. We wrote really fast versions in Java. Like scaled hundreds of computers at at, at, um, at AWS. But then I started trying out Go, because what I liked is that sometimes I just want to do two things at once, but I don't want to think about it. So that whole Go thing, like Go, the Go um, keyword and Go is what got me to Go. And then I realized that, oh, I don't really hate this language. It's kind of like, um, you know, a, a less painful C. So I really got into it. And that's actually how I got into the Go community because I wanted to learn. And then at the same, and then right after then, I moved to DigitalOcean and realizing that some of the things we were doing there at DigitalOcean um, were just better in Go than in Ruby. So I really, I just dove in deep and, and learned it to do a whole bunch of things. So that's actually how I got in the Go community. Um, I don't think it's better than any other language. Uh, in, in any given day, I will code in Python, TypeScript, JavaScript, Go, Ruby. doesn't really matter to me. Um, but it's nice. But it has sort of become the de facto language for these kind of system tools in the last, like, wave of this. And that kind of sucks, though, to tell you the truth. No, but it, it's, true. I, it's true. I will give you the reasons why. I'll give you the biggest reason why. Um, so I do a lot of stuff right now with Kubernetes and go and i do a lot of things that where if you so for the people who don't understand kubernetes i'm not going to explain the whole thing to you 
But I will explain to you that there's these, con there's these API concepts in Kubernetes you'll hear about them. They're called deployments and ingresses and services. They are all generated, they're, they're, they're in code and Go is statically typed, which is cool if you know what your type is. So if you know you're dealing with a service or a deployment or a replica set or an ingress or whatever, that's cool. What if you don't know what you're dealing with? You're basically, you're building a tool that looks at a cluster and pulls objects out. So you need basically a static type um, description of every single thing in there, or you're dealing with this just this blob of, of, um, of data. Go can do both. But the problem is, is because Go is statically typed, you have to jump around a lot of hoops to deal with uh, inputs you don't know about. And they're still valid. And that's a big pain in the butt. So if you go, you want to ever go have your mind blown, go look at um, client Go and then like look at the look at the way that you can interact with the clusters. Pain in the butt. But I see why it's useful. So all the people who are working on it, I'm really appreciative of them. Yeah, I feel like client Go is like the case example of where go fails like in terms of vendoring as well it's just like a huge tire fire you vendor that thing you you vendor client go into your package you'll make your binary 40 megs bigger <laughs> yeah exactly. every single time but that's you know who, eh, it's, it's something i complain about but not it's actually we're in such a better place than we were 10 or 15 years ago and and i know there's a lot of people out there who are hating on Kubernetes. And even I see that some of the edges are, are a little rough. But from seeing Linux come from like Linux, that beta thing, to Linux where it is now, I can recognize that Kubernetes, well, it doesn't get everything right all the time for everybody, has a lot of the right things there. And you're probably better at least looking at it and understanding it than going and creating your own thing. Unless you are like a Jess, because that's what she does when she's on vacation. But I mean, it solves this class of problems in a way that everyone can start to work on solving the next level of problems instead of like reinventing them. Well, that's the important piece. And, and I think that's what a lot of people don't actually uh, um, take into mind when they're solving I mean, give, Given the fact there'll probably be something like 12,000 people at the next KubeCon, I, I do think some people got it. Like, oh yeah, so let me, let me give my little shout out to that. Let me give a shout out to the co-chairs of KubeCon for 2019, um, myself and and my other two co-chairs, uh, Janet and Vicky. Um, so I want to talk about me again for just a second. Let's do it. Um, yeah. So I am a co-chair of KubeCon for 2019, and who knows what else I'll do. Uh, but the reason I want to bring that up is because uh, KubeCon, I didn't know this is. I did learn this, is that KubeCon is the largest open source conference in the world. And hey, you know what? Hey, this black guy whose parents are from rural, rural, rural North Carolina, um, he's, he's the chair. You know what? Hey, I, I'm not big on high-fiving myself in public, but when I'm in private, good Lord, that's, that's amazing. And it's, it's good that I've been able to have good influences on people and good vibes on people that people would actually even think of me for doing these kinds of things. That's what, um, when, I, when I think about what real success is, it's not how much money you make. I mean, of course, if you want to buy expensive things, you need money. But um, really what it comes down to is that when you turn around and you go to bed at night and you think about what you did last night or two weeks ago or over the past year, and you're like, damn, that was good stuff. 
And I've been having a couple of those years where I just look back and I'm like, wow, I would never would have imagined that I wouldn't be able, been able to do something like that. So I'm going to pull on this thread a little bit and you can uh, take it wherever you want. But we, we made um, some con- conversation earlier before this started and you, you made the comment that you might be the most senior uh, African-American person with, with whatever kind of technical responsibilities in your organization. And, and that's sort of meaningful to you in a way where like, like what's the next phase of this? Like where, where's the, like what does it take to open up the floodgates of like human potential and, and build like a bunch of more Brian Lyles? Well, I don't know. I actually think it comes from um, nurture. So I talk about my dad a lot and I have a mom too, and I really like her, but my dad has been a huge influence on me. So let me explain to you why I think the way I do. Uh, my parents grew up in Jim Crow, rural North Carolina. They went to segregated schools. Um, my parents remember when integration happened. They were both in high school, and they said it was it was um, it was a bad bad experience. Uh, my dad, um, he's way out of statute of limitations for this now, so I can actually say it. My dad lied about his age to go fight in Vietnam because he said, at least if I go fight in Vietnam, I can eat every day. And that's crazy. And that drive, that's where I get a lot of this drive from. Um, I've always thought that we can always do better, even if we're doing our greatest. Um, Our jobs is to do better, but do no harm to anyone. So always elevate you, elevate those around you, and then tell those around you to elevate those around them. And then if we all do this together, that's how we all become better as a community because there's nothing there's nothing good out of just Brian being good. It has to be Brian and the people he knows and the people he touches are doing good. And I know that that's good. So um, I did bring this up to um, Jess and Schaefer about, you know, my, my position at VMware. And I take that very serious that I was able to do things that not a lot of people have been able to do. And and I'm not saying that I'm the best because guess what? Um, there's principal engineer, principal engineers above me, and there's a, and there's like another hundred or so um, senior staff engineers at VMware, people who are all doing good work. But when I look at it, when I say when I look at it from the black point of view, I'm thinking, well, wow, there's no one who's had my experiences that has actually hit this role. So what have I done? And then how can I help others get there? Well, what have I done? I don't know. Um, never accepted no for an answer um, in a tech, you know, in a tech um, kind of way. You know, I know when to stop. Um, never, ever set a limit for yourself. And then always learn. So you all can't see over my shoulder here. Um, actually, I got a couple of Jess books behind me of just things. When someone suggests a book, like it's a math book or a science book or a tech book, I usually go buy it and I read it. And I don't, might not have to, any way to apply it right then, but I'm always learning. I'm always looking up something. I've never um, sat on that. And then what I do is I try to go find other people and sometimes people who look like me and sometimes people who don't look like me and try to explain to them that um, you're wanting to be better, but the problem with wanting to be better doesn't mean anything. You're going to have to say, well, I want this goal. And then you're going to try to do everything around it to hit that goal. And being better is not a goal, you know, Uh, Being able to be in the position to afford such and such car um, because you want to go racing, that's a pretty good goal. 
But just saying that I want a promotion at work so I can get this new um, senior, but not really senior title. I mean, that's just that's just playing their game. So I guess it's a long way of um, going is that I've gamed the system for myself. I've always I've put uh, some cheese in front of me and I'm always chasing that cheese, but I'm never on a treadmill. I'm always getting close to it. And when I think I get really close to it, I push the cheese way out further and I just go and I never stop. So that's how I've been able to do this and why I still stay competitive and, and why I'm helping others be able to see the world like this. Um, because here's the crazy thing. It's the world sucks. Um, I can speak from the point of a black man, but let's say if you were a black woman, man, I couldn't imagine what my wife goes through. I mean, what my mother goes through. My wife's not actually not even black. Um, I can't imagine what my daughter or my daughters of mixed race. I can't imagine what they go through. Um, I can't imagine what women or especially like white women go through whenever, you know, um, we had the yesterday was the day that they caught up in money to men from the beginning of 2018. That's crazy. I don't understand that. that that's the equal payday is only for white women. And I, so that's why, that's why I said it for white women. That's yeah, exactly I mean, the, why. The, the lowest paid, I think are Latina women. So black women will hit it next um, in December and Latina women will hit it in 2020. Like right at the beginning, but still that's crazy. And I don't understand that. So, but what I'm trying to do is say that um, adversity and, and bad stuff in life is always going to be there. So you got to do what, what the black church did during slave times and during reconstruction and during Jim Crow. Um, you have to build a safe place allow people to grow, allow people to meet, allow people to have fellowship and all that other good stuff and give people something to look forward to every single week. So that's all I'm trying to do with everyone I meet is saying, hey, you know what? You thinking that you're going to run this company in five years, that's playing by their rules. What you're going to do is you're going to stay here for three more months and you're just going to get a better job where you'll be happier. And in five years, maybe you could be running your own thing if you really want to actually do that. Or you could just not. You could just go make money and be happy and then have the weekends to yourself. And that's what I'm trying to do is tell is, is let people know that success is not what people tell you it is. It's whenever you feel happy. As long as you're not really doing nasty things to other people, because I don't really stand for that, except on Twitter and only inside in subtweets. <laughs> so th- this is, uh, I mean, again, like I, I don't experience blackness, um, but my Yes, family- you do. I mean, I don't experience it as directly, right? Like I, I can try to empathize and I, but I have, you know, familial relations with, with people that have much darker skin than I do. And I, and I see things probably from, from a lens that maybe someone who doesn't have that um, would, would not. But, but it's also like one thing to say, okay, here's this way to set up this system for yourself. But there's kind of like systemic barriers and there's kind of like, like larger larger things like for an individual to take your advice is one thing, but I just kind of have this mental model where it's like, what, what made it so that, you know, what's the bright line between Brian being able to be Brian and, and the kid that lived down, down, you know, within driving distance that grew up on the wire or whatever, like what, what's the thing that like opens up that human potential? Cause just from personal experience and, and some of it has to do with race, some of it has to do with class, whatever. Like I, I met a lot of smart people that basically didn't make it to the other side. Right. So, had those circumstances and like didn't really make it out. 
So I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. I don't take no for an answer. I'll take not right now. Or actually, whenever someone says no, I hear not right now. Or I'm in your way. Or you need to find a different way. And that, I've always been able to do that. I don't get frustrated or anything. And that's why I keep on bringing up my dad. He taught me how to do that. It's like a military thing, you know. We, my, he was an enlisted soldier during the military. His job was to take a hill. Go take that hill. Yes, sir. Hold that hill. Yes, sir. And, I, and I, in my mind, I, that's what I do. I take the hill. I hold the hill. I go take another hill. I don't know the words failure. I don't know the words quit. I don't know the words surrender. I don't know any of those words. I just know that the way that if, if, I, if I ever run into something that's hard, I always think to myself, well, I think I did this the wrong way. Let me figure out a better way to do this. And even if there's things that are like, I mean, within reason, of course. And what I would tell kids who didn't have anything, because guess what? My parents didn't pay for my college. They couldn't afford it. That's not even, that wasn't even a subject that we were going to, that wasn't even a conversation we would have. That was not, that was not going to happen. But what I learned is that um, perseverance and, and guess what? Life sucks. And not to the point that you should go kill yourself, but please don't go do that. You know, life is good, but life is not made for you. Life is made for the 7 billion people that live on this planet. So in a lot of cases, things aren't going to be set up for you. So what you have to do is take, it's like, it's like writing software. You get some requirements. They're kind of crappy and have lots of holes in them. And you want to create good software. You have to look at those requirements, figure out exactly what you can do, you know, negotiate and barter the feature set down, and then you can deliver something good. And that's how I look at life all the time. Well, I think this is all fantastic advice for kind of an individual to have a framing. What I was, what I was trying to tease out of you is maybe like thinking about like a bigger picture system and like maybe like there's things we can do that make it so it's not so hard, right? Like I think, I think, yeah, the advice you're giving is perfect for someone to enact as an individual, but like what can we actually do to make it so the next person doesn't have that same hill to climb? Yeah. So I'm, I'm purposely avoiding that because I don't know the answer. Um, so like someone else coming behind me, how do I make it easier for them? Well, in a, in a few cases, and I still do this actively, I tell people, hey, this is what you're going to run into. Uh, this is what you do when someone says this. Like a good example I had with someone who didn't look like me the other day, um, wanted a promotion. And I said, are you ready to be promoted? And they're like, yeah, I'm ready to be promoted. I said, okay. All right. Instead of thinking about all the great things you did, think about something that you didn't do well. And have an answer for it whenever your manager says, well, what about this? So let's say you were late on delivering a product. And instead of saying, well, it wasn't my fault. Well, instead of having that answer, why don't you have a better answer that says, well, um, considering that the, the scope of the project was really wide, the amount of requirements were really large, but the, the size of the team was very small. The time period was very small. And um, this was not something that we had a lot of knowledge in. I was able to deliver X, Y, and Z. Now, you might look at that as a failure, but I look at it as, as, it, as an, a learning lesson, or maybe I changed something around to reduce the scope. So what I'm trying to say here is that instead of, um, you always got to have an answer for the negatives. And a lot of people don't want to have net answers for the negatives. So I'm trying to help people with that as well. 
And that's, that's the hard part. It's like looking at yourself and saying that, hey, you know, I didn't get that right. And sometimes you won't get it right, and that's cool. But you have to realize that it's not a um, – admitting fault is not, does not make you a bad person. It just means you didn't do as well as you could have or you had potential to in any case. But that's not you. That's your experience. We grow past our experiences. And that's what I'm trying to help people understand, that it is a game. So you just can't ask for a raise. You have to give – you have to basically, or I'll say this one more time. I'm like full of these anecdotes. Um, you have to give away your best ideas away. So you have to make your manager think that it would actually be a bad idea to not give you a promotion. And now you're going to have to, and I'm not saying that you have to go through some subterfuge or anything else to make them do that, but that's the position you want to put people in. Don't put them in the, don't try to intimidate them until making you, make it seem that that would be the only option to, get, to give you a raise. And that's where I'm always trying to do to people and teaching people how to do that. Like, look at this. I'm on your podcast. I haven't even listened to it before. I will listen to it after this. But I've done, I must have done something pretty well. It's, all, it's only been out for a couple of weeks. I mean, I, I don't want to make too many wire references, but the game is the game, right? Like, that's the, that's the game. You know what? Um, we could do this for a minute, though. Um, there's two – there's – Three characters from The Wire that um, I always think about. The first is Stringer Bell, and it's only because um, Idris Elba is my twin. We look just alike. Like when I take <laughs> my shirt off, it's like, my gosh, y'all are twins. Um, and because I did not realize, I always thought he was from Maryland, or because he has this really good Baltimore accent. Or actually, I'm, I'm I can say it because, or like a Baltimore accent. He has that accent just down pat. And then I heard him speak, and he's British, and I'm like, whoa, this guy's flipped my brain. <laughs> um, so um, I like I like Idris Elba for that. But you play the role that you are, that's in front of you, and you play it well. No one knew Idris Elba was British. And then the other two characters are um, Omar. Omar, baby. I like Omar because I want people to be this scared of me. I want people to be like, Omar's coming, Omar's coming, Brian's coming, Brian's coming. <laughs> And then people are like, whoa, hold on. Either they run or they're, they're real attentive. And then the other, um, my favorite character from the, the Wire was Marlo. Marlo was the most gangster of all gangsters that I've ever seen. He was scary to me. He always had the right answer. He was always in charge. And had he not had a couple of screw-ups or slip-ups, I mean, Marlo, Marlo would have owned Baltimore. Think about that. And that's where, and I don't want to think about it like a nefarious way, but I want to be that, I want to be as calm and collected as Marlowe. I want to be as feared and um, inspiring as Omar, but I want to have the swagger of Stringer Bell. Yeah, that's what I'm going for right now. But here's, Perfect. yeah, that's, that's what I'm going for. I'm, I'm actually reflecting on that. That's actually pretty good. I'm getting the <laughs> I think there's also just a high value to representation and, you know, maybe, maybe just having you there and someone else seeing you there makes it possible for them, makes it easier for them. So, and there's one more thing. Um, not only seeing me there, but seeing me stand up for myself. Uh, I will always stand up for myself in public. Um, I don't, or even in private, I don't, I don't play this whole, I don't play this whole, um, you're going to talk down to Brian. Uh, I've earned, and I don't normally talk about myself in third person, but I've earned everything that I have. Nobody gave me anything. 
uh, my parents gave me life and the the drive to go find opportunities for myself. That's what that was what I was given. So I'm not gonna let anyone. Um, I'm gonna treat you with the same respect that you treat me. And normally, I treat people very respectful. I'm I like to say that um, I like to treat people nice, but um, I don't I don't take any crap. So um, I've been in positions where I know. Like here's a good example. When I was at Thunderbolt Labs, this is about 2012. Um, I actually, you know, I was helping run the company and bringing in a butt ton of money. We used to bring a white dude on our, with our sales calls. And why did we do that? Well, because um, it was easier. It was, it was to let the person who was on the other side of that conversation have a person to talk to when we came in the office. And, and I, I know that, but I won't let anyone um, talk down to me anymore. Um, I will stand up for myself. And I know I can do that. I'm a six foot two black dude. And, you know, I don't have a problem with that. I'm taller and bigger than most people that I run into. Um, but I want to show people that I will stand up for you and I will stand up for myself. So I'm not saying that I can shield you from everything, but I will, if I, if I can touch your realm, I will give you cover fires if you are doing the right thing, which is helping yourself and others out. So um, what are you working on now? Oh, what am I working on now? So I'm at VMware. Um, we've been at VMware for a few months now, and I've been working on this project for, actually for, uh, so I was talking about Kubernetes earlier, and, and really what I'm working on now is a, a suite of tools to allow people to uh, understand what their clusters look like. Because when I say, because people always say, my Kubernetes clusters, my Kubernetes clusters. Um, clusters, Kubernetes clusters are confusing. There's like um, etcd, and then there's some other software and kubelets and, and blah, blah, blah. That stuff doesn't even matter once, it have, once you have it running. It's like caring if um, system D is running right. No one actually asks that question if their system boots correctly. But inside of your clusters, you're gonna have different types of workloads. So um, your workloads can be a different things. They could have you know, deployments and, and or daemon sets or staple sets. And inevitably, they're gonna be connected to other things, whether it be services or ingresses or um, like config maps and secrets or CRDs. So I wanna be able to say, Hey, Brian, how's your workload running? And what we've been able to figure out, or what we do know, is that there's a way to figure out the relationship between any objects, or related objects in Kubernetes. So what I've been doing is I've been building a tool to actually show that. So if you have a deployment, you'll be able to see in a graph form, and not like a graph where you would chart like stocks, but like a graph, like in a split graph. Uh, where you'll be able to see that your deployments are connected to multiple replica sets maybe because you're in some scaling event. And then those replica sets have multiple pods that are connected to them. And then the pods through um, an implicit relationship have, have knowledges of services because they're matched with um, label selectors. And then you have ingresses. And what we can do is we can build up that whole graph including configuration and config, uh, config maps and secrets because we can actually go down into your in your container configurations and pull that out and then show you that. And now that you have this graph of information, now you can answer the question of why is this thing broken? Why can't, why can't I send traffic to my workload? And if you think about that, that's like, um, what could be broken in that case? You have a broken workload, no endpoints. Um, you could have be going in a scaling event. You could be out of capacity. Now I can actually show you that in one web page, and you'll be able to see that. And the cool thing about this is that 
We're running it in a little bit different of a, of a way. We're not running it in cluster or running it out of cluster with a set of cluster configuration with your with a set of your credentials. Um, we get rid of a whole class of um, exploits when we only run things with your credentials rather than um, super user credentials that have been reduced downward. Yeah, so that's, that's way we, better than a lot of the existing solutions. Like that's um, No one's doing it. And I made it so it could run in cluster, out of cluster. It's actually a front end. It's wholly separated from the API. So it's uh, it's we're going to be using this thing in a couple different ways. I'm working on getting it open source right now. It doesn't have a name. So, you know, working a big company, that's what you do. But I talked about it before, so I could talk about it now. So what level of access does it need to build this up? And then how do you represent these graphs? Like what's the visualization that you Oh, use? so what do you need? Um, well, um, I won't, um, you're, so right now it's uh, read-only to a namespace. If you can get read-only so you can actually list objects in a namespace and you can see objects in a namespace, that will get you the minimum amount of configuration you need. Um, the first version of this is all read-only and so I understand the semantics of how this works. And then we'll go with the some um, read write, so changing like replicas and ch images and things like so you that. You want to get to the point where you can not just see, but you can actually make the work happen. Do the well, actually, it's more than that. Um, I want to give you to the, I want to get to the ability where not only can you make things happen if you know how to do it, but you can make things happen if you don't know how to do it. And a good example of that would be um, Node. Are like if you have a pod and you have anti affinities and affinities, yeah, you know, pretty esoteric things. No one understands how to configure those correctly. Um, but I can give you a, I can give you a basically a, a builder language or a builder pattern that can actually create those. Because when it comes down to, it's like a key value and an operator, and in some cases, or or the negation of that in, a, in another case, and we can build easy patterns to let people to do these types of things, and they don't need to understand all this complicated YAML. So there's a YAML ramp somewhere um, in here, but really what I'm trying to do is um, provide context around the YAML. Really what I'm trying to do is say that, yes, we have cube control, cube cuddle, whatever you want to call it. Um, that tool is there as it, it forms the, the foundations, but really we should be working at a higher level. And my tool provides more context to cube control. Gotcha. Yeah. Taints and tolerations are also like one of those things like with the node affinities that are so hard to get right. Yeah. So that's that's what um, I know people have problems with. So um, what I do in node affinities is I'll just basically have a node affinity where I, I, I distill it down to something that says like prefer to not schedule with pod labeled blah, blah, blah. And top and topology, blah blah blah. Explain, with, the, explain like, the problem for every listener, just real quick. Like, what's what's the basic? Like, what's the breakdown? What what happens if it goes wrong? Oh well, if it goes wrong with um, like with taint, if you get taints and tolerations and affinities and node affinities wrong, your workloads will never get scheduled on your clusters. And and I and I'm speaking at this level because I don't expect you to understand that. But what I'm doing is bringing these hard, these hard to understand concepts down to a point where everybody could understand them. That's dope. That's and that's and that's actually been the focus of my whole career. I am trying to make things that are stupid hard. Your superpower. Understand, huh? It's your superpower. We already talked. Yes, it's it's why that I got bit by a spider, and that's what it allowed me to do. It happens. Yeah. So that's where I am.
So I get kind of passionate about that. But really, um, at, at VMware, what I am focused on in general is um, developer experience. What does that mean? So not like, and this is not a, and this is not a stab at any of you developer advocates because I don't mean it that way. But I'm looking at developers and trying to figure out how to make them more productive. Um, and whether it's, and it's in a cloud native way. So whether it's with Kubernetes or other tools, I'm looking to make, I'm looking to level up developers and then also level down operators and not saying that we need to bring operators down, but um, as operators or people, you know, people who call themselves SREs, DevOps, all that stuff, we like jargon. And there's a way that we can bridge that gap by bringing the developers closer and then bringing the other side, whatever, closer, closer. And that's what I'm looking at. And that's what I'm looking at. So what do you mean by level down the operators? Like just, just to understand, especially when you work at an infrastructure company. I know, when I say level, I know. When I say level down, when, yeah, I kind of said it. I said it like this because I know what you've done in the past, Schaefer. Um, the reason I say level down is because when we're, when we're building systems and we're doing things on, with systems and networks, we, we have our own set of, of jargon. And when I'm saying level down, it's basically bring the, the, the level of jargon down to make it uh, better for neophytes to understand. And a lot of developers just want to write software. They don't even understand how their software works in context, which sucks, but that's reality. So trying to bring, basically bring down all this, 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 this really scary systems and networking thing to a level where people can understand it. Not be an expert at it, but understand it. Yeah, I think that's really valuable. I mean, just from like most most developers, they don't want to even know that. Like, they don't want to even write like a YAML file. So no, not. So I'll make a controversial, but also I think true statement. I think what everyone really wants, and other people said similar things. Like, basically, everyone wants their own flavor of Heroku, or like their own flavor of like a self service access to do the thing that they want to do, and they want it to work. And, nope. Well, I'm I'm going to disagree with that. No one wants Heroku. No, People no, no. want the supposed feelings that using Git push Heroku master gives you. That's what, it, that's what I mean. Which whether it be Cloud Foundry push like CF push or um, Heroku. They want the dopamine. Everyone wants yeah. the dopamine. Or the serverless or what of this? No one. We don't really want any of this. I actually no one cares about any of these things other than the people who are making money off them. What developers want is ways to get their software into production so they can make money on them. And that's what they really want. And I don't even know if we found the right answer yet, to tell you the no, truth. Absolutely. But there, there's a transition that happens, and, and we mentioned Ruby before, when you go from having to cobble together some way to get Rails to kind of stay alive to, to be able to get push Heroku, there's like just kind of like game changing, right? Oh, no, don't get me wrong. Heroku actually brought some real magic sauce to the game. Hate on them all you want, and I, I hate on everybody equally, but they brought 12 factors to the table, and they brought the concept of build packs. Whether they are right or you know, like the right implementation, even still, whether did, did even um, does, does Pivotal get the, the build pack thing right? I don't know, but I think it's way better than where we were before. Absolutely. So all I'm saying is that um, except our current, um, state of the art as something great, but don't settle for it. We can do better. And that's including serverless and all these other things too. We can do better. No, absolutely. I, I mean, I think what the general trend is towards is collapsing the complexity that you have to manage so you could spend it on 
the interesting things that you want to do for your customers, right? So if you if you have to like sit and think about all these things with the network and the storage or whatever, like that, that's not time you're spending on the features for your for your app. And that's what I do for a living. It's actually the dopest job ever. Superpowers. Yeah, superpowers. That's it. So is there anything else you kind of want to give as a as a last bit of tips for the for the listeners or like some other topic you think we should explore? Yeah, I, I got something else. I got one more thing. Um, so I got to talk about social media just for a second here. Um, I think that we are, you know, I've been around, t- I've been on Twitter since it came out. That was a long time ago. And, and I'm and I'm watching it now, and and I hate to sound like this old guy who's basically saying let's take it back to where it was, but um, here's the thing about about social media and all these things, um, they're just bits and bytes on someone else's computer. This shit don't matter. So you got to stop taking it so seriously. Like people take this social media stuff seriously. I I take it as serious as it comes to me. I mean, sometimes I share my tech stuff. But other times I'm gonna call somebody out in their um in their in their in their private feeds. I, I don't care about that. But we need to realize that just because you are a big star on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, that's it. You making you making Jack more money. As a matter of fact, the more Twitter followers you have, the more you're making someone like Jack rich. And we know Jack is basic. So think about <laughs> So just think about that. I'm not really talking about it and I'm not talking about you, but I'm probably am talking about you. Just think about that. This stuff is all make believe. It's like playing Barbie and GI Joe with tech toys. It's not real. What is real though is finding people that you didn't know that you could meet and then either coming together and building better stuff with them or them leveling you up or you leveling them up or sharing some information. That's the important bit, but all this other stuff like, I'm a dev advocate and I go do this stuff here. You know what? No one fucking cares. So I, I, I want to just like put it, this is like there's this larger fabric of, mm-hmm. of the way that these things are influencing literally like nation state elections. Right. Yeah. So, so like there's certainly some impact beyond this thing that no one cares about. Like people do care. Right. So, like I, I think I understand the point you're making, and I also just noticed what your your nameplate looks or says right about your shoulder. Right. <laughs> so that made me chuckle. But the, I don't know. Like I think there's a balance where, and I think that you probably benefit from this, and other people benefit from this. Having some social media presence definitely changes some of the arc of your career and some of the conversations that you can have. I mean, I, I, um, you already kind of alluded to this, but for me, like the biggest, biggest benefit from Twitter is being able to meet people that were kind of my heroes in real life. Uh, when, when we happen to be at the same conference or when we happen to be in the same city and, and that dynamic, like that feel, I feel like that's the most valuable personally, but that dynamic wouldn't exist if those things didn't exist. And that that's a real thing that you kind of can make happen. So I won't ever dismiss that. But what I'm saying is, that's the good part. Embrace that piece. But all the rest of it, that's crap. Don't embrace that. Yeah. And also, and here's the best part. The world does not need to know everything. Keep some of that stuff to yourself. We don't need to know that. <laughs> so we're going to put you down uh, as, your, as your bio as a, your social media consultant now. 
I am. Yeah, I'll tell you how to use it. Tell you how to get mad followers, yo. <laughs> growth hacking. I think that's what they call that. Yeah, I'm a growth hacker. Clearly. So is that the, it feels like we're kind of coming to the end of uh, an episode, unless uh, Jess or, or Brian want to lay some more wisdom down. Actually, you know what? I got one more thing. I could always have one more thing. Actually, one more thing. I got Jess here, and um, I just want to say something about Jess. Oh, God. I really like Jess. Oh. And let me tell you why I like Jess. It's not what everyone else thinks. It's that whole, that whole contain, running everything in containers. I thought that was weird. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was weird. But what I really like about Jess is Jess will, like, issue, like, on, on social media, will issue, like, jab, 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 jab. And then she'll throw down, like, oh, I bought this cool piece of hardware. Or I bought this cool book. And I'm not going to lie. That's I'd a good buy, one. I buy the books that you suggest. You're, you're, you're like my sounding board for this part of my life. I also bought this the other day. You don't have one of these yet. Um, it's a Jetson Nano developer kit. And what it is, it has like machine, it has like a tensor worth of compute thing on something the size of a Raspberry Pi. Um, I like Jess because Jess reminds me of old school Brian who loved hardware. Like I loved MIPS. I loved Alpha. I still have some of that stuff and I am going to get back into it so I can start building off of hardware anymore on hardware. I used to run all sorts of crazy things. I had friends who had PDPs in their house, like right next to a refrigerator or PDP 11. So that's what I like about Jess. And and I'll say something else about Jess. Um, I don't get to say this enough to her, but Jess has always been super nice to me. And when she had her, when she had her, um, her hacker conference out there at GitHub a couple of years back, um, she sent me an invite and I came and it was a good time. Um, I always like to, to, to rally around people who are the center or at least some thinkers in tech. And, and I do believe that Jess is one of those. So I could never be one of those because I'm going to cuss everybody out. And um, just we invited you here because we both like you. <laughs> no, no. I, I also live um, vicariously through Jess hacking oh, on Yes, I do. I, I'm, and this is, you know, not to be like gushy and all that, but no, I really appreciate it about you, Jess. And you, you definitely, I, I go look and see what Jess is talking about and what hardware she's buying. And you will not believe that I do mirror a lot of your purchases. I haven't bought the Risk Five stuff yet, but as soon as I move, it's coming. Maybe wait on that though, because I realize like there's not many integrations with anything, so it's not all that fun. It's actually a huge pain in the ass right now. So Um, my new house has a rack. Riding your own drivers, put it in the rack. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So, um, but also since I'm giving it out, um, so Schaefer, I've known Schaefer for a long time, and um, what can I say about Schaefer? I got one. I'm just going to talk about one time. This is like explains the character that I think of you as. So a couple of years ago, we were in Pittsburgh at a, like an abstractions conference. Yes. And we were all speaking and Kelsey Hightower was there too. I won't bring Kelsey Hightower up. He is not my twin. We do not look alike. I'm like a foot taller than him. We just both happen to be black and in tech. But you and Kelsey were debating. And the way that Andrew debated Kelsey, I'll never forget this. It was just like a like such a style and a pizzazz about how you handled everything he threw at you. And that's how I think about you. You are always the adult in the room. You, you're, you're a good dude. And, and I really appreciate that. 
I don't know if that's always the case. I, I try to bring balance to the force. So if no one else is being uh, the child, then, then I have to uh, balance that out too. So. Yeah, so I, I, I do. I, I do really appreciate whenever you all ask me to do this and I saw who it was, I'm like, hell yeah, I like both of them. And I don't like a lot of people. So um, <laughs> I tolerate a lot of people, but I don't like a lot of people. So uh, yeah, thank you for this opportunity to get a whole bunch of things off my chest. And, and you can see that I'm not just a weirdo. There's a lot of complexity going on there too. Yeah, like I said earlier, I, I always love listening to you. Like I feel like you bring this kind of thoughtful depth to to everything you do and and you know the last however long we've been spending together just reflected that as well yeah so it's, it's about so this will be literally the last thing that i say and and this is how i live my life so um i grew up in the 90s i mean i became an adult in the 90s and during that time was like the best period of hip-hop especially the best period of new york hip-hop and specifically groups like um, anyone coming from like the Wu-Tang. And what they really were on was um, they were talking about this whole 5%er percent and, you know, third eye, basically trying to grow above yourself and see the world as it really is rather than how you're living in it. And I didn't embrace that. But I do embrace this whole thing of being mindful of everything and understanding that if I don't understand why something is happening, it doesn't mean that it's wrong. I just need to take myself out of the situation so I can understand it. So I'm super like, kind of like, like a whole Shaolin master looking at these things, trying to not defeat it from the front, but maybe defeat it from the side or from the back. And, and that's what a lot of the ideas come from. I'm really like, I hate to say that it sounds like I'm smoking a lot of weed and everything I'm doing. Cause I don't even smoke weed anymore, but um, I am really super deepful, thinking about everything, like everything is going on. I have had, I have lots and lots of thoughts about them. So, and I, I encourage others to do that too. You know, understand that the world is way bigger than you and understand that everything happens for a reason, good or bad. And understand that you can either be a part of everything going on, or you can take yourself out of that and be the master of whatever your destiny is going to be. And I've chosen to be the last. Straight from the sh the slums of Shaolin, I think is how it goes. Straight from the slums of Shaolin, Wu Tang Clan, Clan strikes again. It's the RZA, the Jizza, the old dirty bastard. Inspector Deck, you God, Ghostface Killer, and the M E T H O D Man. That's it for me. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love rap. <laughs>